This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is economist Dan Kalowski, Vice President of Cobank's Knowledge and Exchange Division. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry provides individualized protection on more than 311 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Dan Kolowski next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. America's Crop Insurance Industry, providing individualized protection on more than 311 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Entering 2018, trade was a top concern for the financial health of the U.S. ag economy. Now, entering the second half of the year, trade is at the top of the list. Cobank's Dan Kolowski says 70% of U.S. ag exports are destined for markets engaged in trade negotiations or all-out trade disputes. And three commodities in particular, pork, soybeans, and dairy products, are the most vulnerable. Those three commodities, we think, are the the largest commodities that are at risk right now. They fit a few different factors that we kind of look at. You know, the most vulnerable industries, we kind of categorize into a few things. They have the most abundant supplies. They're dependent on exports. They have plenty of competition, and they don't have immediate demand replacement. So that definitely fits pork and dairy uh, to a lesser degree on soybeans. But when one country is overwhelmingly your largest importer of your product and you're having a tit-for-tat trade dispute going on and they are looking to shut off imports entirely from you if possible, that's where that changes that discussion as as it relates to soybeans. That becomes a major, major risk because of that concentration. So when we turned the calendar from 17 to 18, we were already talking about the 50-52% decline in net farm income and we're already talking about some segments and groups within the industry that were challenged. Has that been expanded now that this trade issue continues to ripple? We've seen some of the tariffs that have been imposed already uh, went into effect in China in April, and then uh, Mexico came along and imposed some tariffs in early June. So it's pretty early for us to assess the exact impacts on sales. You know, We need to get a few more months out to see some consistency in that data. But the reality is that we know, based on discussions in the industry, we know that, that sales have come off significantly, especially to China, that businesses in China just are not, in, they're trying to stay away from U.S. agricultural products and importing less. So we know that. Uh, it's a little bit difficult on the soybean side because it's, it's a quiet time for us. We've typically, by this point, handed over the soybean export market to Brazil largely, so it's relatively flat this time of year anyway. What becomes a concern is the new crop sales and new crop exports that we should start to see in the next few months that should start to come in for October, November, December. And if this if this hangs in, then this will continue to be an escalating problem through the rest of the years. Rewind to the beginning of the year. Had we seen a change in debt-to-asset ratios? From 2017 to 2018, there hasn't been a dramatic change on the debt-to-asset ratios. We don't see really frequent updates on those. 
If you look back over the last five years, we've seen, say, a tick up in concern over those ratios. Um, but it is relatively modest. If you look back over 10 or 20 years or look back to the 1980s, there's, there's no comparison. Having said that, really the, the ratio that we like to watch in this group is the debt-to-income ratio, and that's, we think, more of a, you know, a, a closer indicator of what's actually going on out there. It's a, an advanced ratio uh, sort of looking near term rather than a trailing indicator like, like the debt-to-asset or debt-to-equity ratio. So the debt-to-income uh, numbers are, are indicating that there's much more difficulty out there in the farm economy than otherwise you'd see in the other ratios. The debt-to-income is actually ticking up close to where we were in the mid-1980s. So that just tells us that there's a lot less liquidity out there, that farmers are sort of running out of runway if things continue to say where they are or worsen, which is what we're potentially looking at with these tariffs. You know, we've lost about $1.50 on soybeans and about $0.75 cents on corn. So if you play that out, it's not a it's not a really fair comparison. I wouldn't, you know, this is you sort of put all the caveats in place, but if you you know, multiply that over what the crops would actually be, you know, 14 billion on corn and whatever it is on soybeans, what, what the WASD is projecting, that comes out to just from corn and soybeans, you're looking about, about $17 billion. If the prices that we have seen decline, if they stay where they are, that impacts just corn and soybean production and the revenue from those crops by $17 billion. And if you compare that to where farm in, net farm income would be, uh, that's a 28% decline in farm income just from those two commodities. So again, caveats all around that, but the the point is that we're we're talking about serious numbers here. Really, the the take-home point is that these numbers are well into the billions, and you know there's a lot at stake here. What was the credit situation for? Uh, agriculture overall, some specific groups at the beginning of the year. And I have to muse that if commodity prices stay where they are right now, we're back into a below cost of production, knowing that the soybeans have been sold in the Western Corn Belt with a seven handle in front of them. If we stay here, what happens to credit worthiness and farmers getting operating loans for 19? Before I make comments on that, I should say that CoBank is a provider of finances for cooperatives and processors and sort of the middle market of of the the supply chain. So we typically don't provide financing for uh, direct production lending. So with that caveat, it, it you know it will have an impact. It's the liquidity issue. It's the working capital issue. It's just that simple. That if your cash flow declines and you start eating into equity it becomes a much more difficult conversation with your banker. Uh, no matter, you know, that goes across the board, whether you're in production or a processor or a co-op, um, those financials are the same. So from our position, it's a little bit more complicated how this all filters through the middle part of the supply chain and the impacts to our customers are likely to be a little bit further out. Of course, we can't project exactly what's going to happen, but they could be delayed uh, months or quarters uh, for the middle part of the supply chain uh, to have major impacts. But the producer is on the front line, and there's no question about it. If if farm income, if prices stay exactly where they are right now, uh, that there is there are a lot of hard decisions. When we were hovering at the beginning of the year around break-even, like you said, if you have a seven-handle on soybeans, there are very few farmers out there that can actually turn that into a profitable situation. It definitely worsens things after multiple years of already depressed farm income, and this shortens the the runway for the credit situation for anyone that finds themselves 
upside down, that cash flow becomes negative. You know, that time span where you can stay in that position shortens because the risk becomes that much greater. It becomes a difficult situation all the way around for all of agriculture. Before we started the interview, you told me that before you came to CoBank, you'd spent some time uh, in a consulting position with regard to industry and agriculture. That's right. Yeah, I worked in a consulting firm for several years where we were providing uh, economics consulting on various levels for finance in New York and litigation in New York, but also doing a lot of consulting to agricultural industry associations in Washington. I don't have the answer, and I don't think you have the answer in your pocket. And I can certainly say that our Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, in interviews lately that I've seen on CNBC and then uh, in a conference that he had with reporters in Chicago, he has suggested that this president and he is calling farmers patriots and that this administration will stand behind them and help to mitigate losses that they're seeing as a result uh, of these uh, trade wars, if you will, that are going on. There are a number of ways over a period of time that our government has supported agriculture when the chips were down. And what I wonder is the USDA is going to be left with a decision on how do you determine, if we're talking about soybeans, if we're down a dollar fifty a bushel, how much of that dollar fifty loss was from the sabers rattling over trade? How much was it because of good weather and potentially good crops? How would you go about making a decision like that? That's a very good question, and I think you hit on the, the two factors that really are influencing prices right now, and, and they're very difficult to separate out. You know, mentioning where I've worked in the past before coming to CoBank, we did this kind of this kind of work sort of in a backcasting way of using all sort of economic tools to try to figure out, you know, if if this event happened and that event happened, maybe there's two or three events, and you're trying to make an insurance claim on say leg quarters that were supposed to be shipped to you know, the Commonwealth states, and they didn't get out of port in time, and then avian flu hit. You know, there was a hurricane. All these different things are are compounding things. Uh, once you have more than one variable, which we almost always do. Uh, in real-life situations, you, it's not a perfect science. You can get fairly close. You can sort of uh, look at timing and things like that. But especially when things are happening in a coinciding period, it's very difficult to exactly pull out the effects of one versus another. And so I think the USDA has their work cut out for them to try to determine you know, exact impacts, as uh, Secretary Purdue has been talking about, you know, trying to... Uh, determine uh, when there's uh, legitimate and lasting market impact. Those are, you know, that's a very difficult thing. What is the legitimate impact? What is the lasting market impact? And what are what's the, the bookends for that time period? And how do you make sure that the legitimate impact is directly from the tariffs and from the trade disputes? That's not an easy thing to do. Obviously, there has been some level of loss. And I begin to question how deep Uncle Sam's pockets are on this, because if you look at all the commodities together, that's that's quite a large figure. Uh, I would have to believe that our trading partners are pretty much on edge with us already. So if you were to try to go back and repeat, per se, a direct payment, that's really not going to fly in WTO court. And then again, if you wanted to go back a long time ago when there was a huge surplus and, you know, the Commodity Credit Corporation would come in and swoop up and buy some surplus commodities, uh, that may have helped the bottom end, but ultimately it put a lid on the top of prices. I just, it's very interesting for me what the department is going to do. And I've got to believe that farmers and lenders are kind of on the edge of their chair to see what this might entail. Absolutely. It's, it's been a while since the CCC has really been used. We saw a few years ago that 
Uh, some purchases were made to support the sugar industry. But beyond that, it's, you have to go back quite a ways to see what they're talking about and what's at their disposal being used on a large scale across the biggest commodities. So, um, you know, they do have $30 billion at their disposal, which is a positive thing if you think about it from this idea that there's billions of dollars potentially impacted on farm income. Uh, fortunately, we have a pretty big coffer uh, in the CCC to combat this situation if needed. How much of that will actually be deployable is, is a question. There has been some loosening on the controls of CCC this year in the omnibus that was passed earlier this year with Congress. So that's been freed up a little bit more than it had been in a, a few years past. I think that was all set up in anticipation that this we may find ourselves in this position. So I think you know all of what's available in the CCC has been made available to the degree that I think Congress and the President and the Secretary of Agriculture can do. They are playing the cards close to the vest, not really signaling how they're going to use it in what way they can. Uh, and so we try not to speculate too much about where that will go. Uh, I'm sure in due time we'll find out what the plan is. In the short term, it's it's a positive thing. It, it can provide some relief to to producers that, you know, going back to your uh, previous question about, you know, credit situation, credit worthiness, uh, if there's cash flow, if there's revenue, some sort of income, uh, in the near term, that can, again, lengthen that runway for those producers and, and help bridge to a better time uh, or when there is when NAFTA is settled and, and off the table or we come to an agreement with China. You know, it can bridge that gap, and that's the best part about it. The, the longer-term impacts are mostly negative in that, you know, you, like you said, you do cap prices. The market knows those supplies are, are held off to the side, and it, it's very difficult to dig out from under those extra supplies until until the government sells off supplies, if that's what the CCC is used for, to buy up extra commodities and store them like they have in the past. So it's 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 definitely not a silver bullet. It is, it is something that can be used for a near-term fix, but it creates longer-term problems. It creates a difficulty for the farm economy to actually get back on its legs and actually start to climb the hill again, as opposed to staying at what may have been a forming bottom here in 2018. So this kind of throws everything into into a lot more uncertainty. Uh, if you do go into CCC, it's it's not a really once you get away from market signals and you have a distortion in the market that prices are not properly um, responding to what is directly available in the market at that moment or what is anticipated to be available in the futures months. Then you know its distortions really are hard hard to pre- to predict. Uh, how they'll affect the rest of the market, uh, and it makes it very uncertain. It makes it hard for farmers to make decisions about their futures. It makes it very hard for the rest of the supply chain to make decisions about who they're going to ship to. Will the supply chain be completely altered? Will the U.S. be sending corn and soybeans down to South South America, to the EU, where we haven't sent a lot in recent years? Uh, how will the supply chain be reformulated based on these tariffs? It's, it's a lot of uncertainty and almost almost definitely a lot more cost added to the supply chain, which also cuts into uh, the income along the supply chain. Well, I don't want to put you in a position of lobbying for, but I just have to believe that you and other lenders of the country are all the more um, encouraging the Congress and the administration to get this 18 Farm Bill done and signed on time. That's one piece of uncertainty that I think a lot of folks would like to do without. That would definitely help. Getting that uncertainty off the table is definitely welcome, not only for producers, but 
for us a cooperative bank, uh, all of our customers, um, you know, to have that certainty to know what the structure is that, you know, what are the, what are the boundaries? What sort of marketplace are we going to be operating in for the next the next several years? That is very helpful. It's some certainty amidst uh, a lot of gray clouds and a lot of uncertainty that just cannot be controlled uh, within something like the Farm Bill. Dan, I would have to believe that the things that you're watching at the beginning of the year, yes, the global economy and hoping for improvement, but these tariffs uh, certainly can have implications for individual economies and the global economy as well. Any way to get a handle on that or symptoms that would show you things are improving or getting worse? There's a lot of anecdotal stories in the U.S. We've seen them in the news related to Harley-Davidson and others that, you know, are looking to cease production if it's related to metals especially and tariffs that are being imposed on that. Being able to, you know, increase production of products overseas and uh, serve foreign markets that way, trying to get around the tariffs. We're going to see more of that, I imagine, as time goes by. I think the confidence issue globally, I think the the global economy has sort of stepped back a little bit. There's been a lot of warnings from the IMF and the World Bank um, sort of looking at emerging markets as well as uh, other developed markets, Europe and Japan and and elsewhere, uh, saying, look, this is the confidence level of the global economy really matters. It really matters to the global economy, to how well it, it, it functions. And so... Once you have a decline in confidence and people are starting to worry and pull back and, you know, uh, reassessing how they're going to do business, whether they can't do business globally the way they did and they're going to have to pull back to be more of a uh, nationalistic type of stance and companies are going to have to produce more locally, which may not be to their best advantage. It may cost an awful lot more. Um, you know, maybe from all of this, one of the biggest risks, I think, for all economies is, is an increase in, in inflation for consumers and businesses. You know, once you start tacking on tariffs, things start to go up in price and options start to fall. Um, so those are negative impacts for any economy, and it's probably going to hit most economies in the world that have, over the last few decades, have gotten more and more, and more involved in the global economy. Um, those supply chains are not wound up in a, in a day or a month. Uh, they're very complex. They cross borders throughout the world. You know, there's going to be a lot more impact coming. Dan, I want to thank you very much for spending time and just letting us wander a bit and muse about all the different things that are happening with regard to the industry. Let me pull the train back up on the tracks and ask this. Uh, from right now, from the perspective of CoBank and from your knowledge and exchange division, what are the things that you're watching the closest now? Yeah, I'd say the things we're watching closest now are, one, the obvious is, is trade. Where does this go? Uh, you know, there's going to be rumors, I'm sure, that start to circulate about negotiations with the U.S. and China or with the U.S. and NAFTA. Um, we are most concerned uh, right now about the pork, dairy, and soybean sectors. You know, the pork industry has increased its capacity dramatically over the last couple of years, and they're still building out more capacity. So production is high, and there are competitors waiting at the door. Mexico has inked a deal with the EU for a free trade agreement, which makes uh, a lot of pork from Europe now more easily available to ship to Mexico, uh, as well as dairy. Uh, there's a lot of dairy from Europe as they are you know, fully supplied there. They would like to ship more to Mexico, and that also makes it more difficult especially on the cheese side for dairy producers to export into Mexico. Now that Mexico has to acknowledge and take into account these designations of origin from Europe, say whether it's feta or um, 
uh, other different kinds of cheeses, Asiago, Parmesan, things that we take as typical normal cheese uh, categories in the U.S. It's now a protected status for Mexico in the way that they can import cheeses. So there's a lot of things that are happening sort of off to the side. We're really focused on our particular negotiations in NAFTA and our particular negotiations with China, but uh, countries or, or uh, country blocks like the EU are quickly and actively being getting engaged in developing their own free trade agreements, and uh, the TPP will continue to move on without the U.S., and so some of those benefits are already gone. And So there is that risk that these other countries tend to bind together and find ways to work around our tariffs uh, that's certainly a risk we are concerned about and that some of these new trade agreements and new trade uh, deals that go through, if, if uh, Argentina starts sending more corn to Mexico and that works out well, it's you know that supply chain is now formed and it, it can be much more difficult to upend that and switch it back to where it was, even if policy changes. So you open up yourself to a lot of concerns and a lot of future risk uh, going down the road if if you don't remedy this relatively quickly. So those are the big things that we're thinking about, especially on the trade side, which is our number one risk for the U.S. and the agricultural economies uh, going through 2018. Well, Dan Kalowski, thank you very much for taking time to spend with us on this edition of Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and the tradition is that you get the last word. Well, thanks, Jeff. Uh, this has been a real pleasure. This has been uh, you know, it's been a tough couple of weeks watching everything, watching the markets move, watching uh, all these other things happening uh, that you really can't predict. Um, policy has felt like it's been moving by the day or by the half day or by the hour. But the reality remains that 70% of, of our U.S. agricultural exports are sold to countries that are actively engaged in trade negotiations or disputes. And that's the number one risk that we have. Uh, 30% of our ag exports go to Canada, China, and Mexico. And so the numbers are enormous. The, the risk that's out there is significant. And so uh, we know that there is potential mitigants that can be put in place uh, to bridge gaps for farmer income. But we also know that, that those uh, market disruptions can, can carry their own long tail of, of travails down the road that can make things very difficult to get um, to come out of this bottom where we've been in the farm economy and get it back to where we all would like to see it and see where it's functioning well and and um, where rural communities are being supported by by agriculture and, and everything else that uh, that helps the, the rural economic engine go. So this is a critical time. Uh, it's an important thing that, that we're talking about, and uh, I hope that, that the powers that be can can come to some sort of resolution before before the consequences get worse. Our thanks to Dan Kolowski, Vice President of CoBank's Knowledge and Exchange Division, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.